Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. Before we kick off a very full episode of the show today, I just wanted to thank you because I have noticed a marked increase in the listens of the podcast over the last several weeks. So if you are one who is sharing the podcast, please continue to do so. And if you have any feedback for the show, things that you've liked about it, things that you don't like, things that you would like us to cover, or ways that we can improve in the future, please let us know. I really want to be here for the listener as we all traverse together this road that we call the Christian life. Today I will be reviewing a movie called Saved by Grace. This is actually a movie that came out about six years ago now, 2016, but I have not until now had the opportunity to review it. So I'm excited to share that with you. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, today I have two pieces of news uh, that I would like to talk to you about. And the first deals with the mass transit mask mandate. And we have some good news coming out of Florida. Out of Florida, where a federal judge has just overturned the CDC's national mask mandate for planes and other forms of public transportation. Joining me now is NBC News Justice Correspondent Pete Williams. So, Pete, um, will this does this mean that everyone can take their mask off inside a plane or is there another step? Well, that's what the judge says. Uh, we're waiting to hear what the Centers for Disease Control, TSA and the FAA say uh, I doubt that uh, planes in flight, for example, know about this or that most airlines are even quite aware of what they're supposed to do now. No comment yet from the Justice Department about what it will do, although I suspect that the government will seek a stay of this judge's order. So this is a federal judge in Tampa, Florida, who has ruled in a lawsuit brought by a group called the uh, Health Freedom Defense Fund, and two women who said that uh, they didn't like wearing masks on a plane. One of them said that her anxiety was aggravated by having to wear a, a face mask. And the other said the mask constricted breathing and provoked or exacerbated her panic attacks. And the judge has said two things here, that the Centers for Z Disease Control did not have the authority to issue this mask under the law that set up the CDC. Uh, and secondly that the federal government failed to go through all the necessary steps in making a rule like this and seeking public comment. Now, the judge said normally speaking in a case like this, uh, she would issue a ruling in favor only of the parties to the lawsuit. In other words, that, that uh, a mask mandate would not apply only to them. But the judge, who is uh, Catherine Kimball Mazel of Tampa, said uh, that's not possible that it would be hard to distinguish them from others. And then she says, uh, if, if she were to try to limit it, how is the ride-sharing driver, the flight attendant, or the bus driver to know that somebody was a plaintiff to this lawsuit with permission to enter mask-free? That just wouldn't work. So she has declared the mask mandate illegal. She has struck it down. Now, uh, as I say, I don't know what the government's going to do about this. I would, see, I would think they'd seek a stay of her ruling. This was the mask mandate, of course, as you mentioned, applied to airplanes, trains, buses, other kinds of mass transit. And in the case of airplanes, it's been extended several times yeah. because the government has said that it's been effective in helping to prevent the spread of COVID. 
but we just don't know what the federal government is going to do here. I would certainly guess they'll try to put a stop to this and get, and get a stay while this uh, is appealed. Okay, so the first thing I want to say on this story is I'm glad that the mask mandate has been struck down by a federal judge. That being said, there are two elements of this that I think are worth our consideration. The first is that throughout this whole process, one thing that we have certainly lacked is nuance and discretion. We have definitely taken a blanket statement approach to the way we approach masking and vaccines. One thing I have said repeatedly on this show is that just because masking is no longer required does not mean that you can't continue to wear a mask. I think that if you are comfortable wearing a mask, you should wear a mask, and that is totally fine with me. That being said, I think the significance of the fact that it is almost impossible with the way things have been built up and the way that people have been pitted against one another to, as he said, make a judgment that says that simply these two people that are involved in the lawsuit can be exempted from masking without everyone else being exempted. It's just impossible to make that kind of ruling. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I thought was significant that was mentioned, and I have thought this for a long time, is that the judge made it clear that she did not believe that the CDC had the authority to make this decision. And this is a key thing for future issues as well. Because one of the things I have often said about this issue is it might be a good thing to hear your judges or your president make these declarations about what we should do as long as it's something that you agree with. But I always warn people, the minute that it is something that you don't agree with, you will be complaining along with the rest of us that your rights are being trampled. So I think it's very important that as we deal with these issues that we err on the side of liberty. Because the reality that we find ourselves in is that we are still in a place where COVID is, you know, about 98 or 99% uh, curable and it seems to have lessened its severity as the variants have come on. So as you're considering things like masking and vaccines, I think it's very important that we allow people to have differences of opinion on these issues. I I said from the very beginning that I don't think it's wrong for people if they choose to be vaccinated. However, I am concerned about a vaccine that requires you to get four shots in one year. And I think that if you really believe that the vaccine is the way to go, you should be encouraging those who develop the vaccine to develop a better vaccine. That's just common sense. And then, as I've talked about on this podcast before as well, when you look at any number of prescription medicines, even ones that have been around for a while and people really want to encourage you to take, one of the things you see when you watch those commercials is long lists of side effects and lists of people who should not take whatever the medicine is. And I just feel like 
that type of approach should have been taken when it comes to the vaccine. And so I'm really glad for Liberty's sake that these mask mandates are going down. I don't know if, if this judge's decision will stay in place. I'm pretty sure that the government is going to have a response to this, but I really think that it is the best way to go. We are in a place now where we know more about COVID and, and managing the symptoms and responding to that sickness. I think we really just need to move on with our lives. That being said, that does not negate the responsibility of individuals to be responsible when it comes to their travel or exposing people when they are sick. I think the biggest thing that we lack today is a sense of personal responsibility because we think the government should make all our decisions for you. And as I've delineated, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I don't think you should desire for the government to make your decisions for you. The way that the United States governmental process works is to put the power in the hands of the people. And so I am really encouraged when power is giving, given back to the people, especially power that should never have been taken away in the first place. The next thing I want to talk about is about the midterm elections. Now, they're coming up in November, and I know a lot of people wonder why I would spend time on my podcast talking about this. But as I have discussed in the past, you have the opportunity to go to any number of nations where they are run by dictators, where people don't have a say in their government. But we have the unique opportunity in America to have a say in the way our government is run. And in the state of Virginia, we saw what happened when concerned parents rose up and said enough is enough. We've seen changes on the school board level, and we saw a sweeping change on the nas- on the state level with the governor, uh, Glenn Youngkin, and Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears winning a resounding victory in November to represent the state of Virginia for families. And so I think that shows us that there can be a difference made when you care about the future of your country. Marissa Cato Cortez, and she is a mom of two, pregnant with her third, and a Democrat voter. And Cindy Lee is a mom of four, and she's a Republican voter. I'm going to start with you, Cindy. Uh, talk to me about education and any other issues that you think are going to be at top of mind when you go to the ballot box this midterms. Good morning, Rachel. Happy morning. Easter and happy, happy Easter. Passover to you and all your viewers. So for me, parents want transparency, accountability, and having a voice in their kids' education, as we saw with the Virginia race and also school board recalls all over nationwide. Parents are pushing back at what's being taught to their kids inside the classroom. Um, they're pushing back on critical race theory and radical gender ideology, and their kids being taught sex education at an early age. Also, with the damage of the lockdowns, um, forcing kids to wear masks. And in California, Governor Newsom intends to make the experimental vaccine a requirement for kids to attend school. So we've seen a massive drop in enrollment in the public education system. In California, last year, our math numbers 
eighth graders are scoring on average as fifth graders. So we want to steer away from teaching our kids left wokeism and focus on academics. So I think the primary things going to this election is to elect candidates who support parents' rights, or candidates who are not endorsed by the teachers' unions, um, candidates who support election integrity, and governors who do not abuse their emergency power. Wonderful. Um, I think you're channeling a lot of moms when you talk about parental rights. Marissa, is parental rights an important issue for you as well as a Democrat voter? Absolutely. I've always been a Democrat because we believed in the freedom to choose what we want to do, who we want to be, and I really believe that that should trickle into education as well. Here um, in my area, we're also seeing a huge decrease in public school enrollment, and it has a lot to do with many different factors, but I really do believe that parents on both sides are united when it comes to educating their children. We may believe in different ways um, of how to do that, but parental rights are extremely important, and I think that you're going to see parties on both sides come out and support that. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating that this has become a bipartisan issue. Um, parents want more control. I'm going to stick with you for just a second, Marissa, because you also told us that climate change is a, still a big issue for you. At the same time, you're really concerned about gas prices. So tell me how you're reconciling that since top economists are saying that the gas prices are directly related to climate change policies like shutting down our oil and gas industry. Well, I don't believe in shutting down the oil and gas industry. My husband does work um, in the oil industry. I think that we have to come up with different ways than just opening our reserves because that's not going to be a long-term solution. Right. And as much as I would love to believe that electric cars are the answer, they're not. The batteries are proven to be just as harmful um, to our environment and to our climate. And I think we kind of need to take a look at the picture as a whole, you know, we saw a massive drop in fuel emissions when people were working from home in a hybrid work environment. There was much less stress on our planet. So I think we need to take a look maybe outside the box instead of just focusing on the one issue of, well, we have to get rid of gas. We have to get rid of this. We have to get rid of all of these things that are causing harm to our planet. But that yeah. those may not be the only answers. Let me say, first of all, that I have the utmost respect for teachers Working as a substitute teacher for five years and working alongside my colleagues at the Potter's House was one of the greatest privileges of my life. That being said, though, I have my concerns about the way that we do education here in America. And here's my main one. My main concern is that the way we have structured the education system is that we have convinced parents, by and large, that they do not have the ability to educate their children. I'm so thankful that my parents took the opportunity to homeschool me and to give me that education help that I needed. And so many people say, I can't educate my children at home. I admire what your mom does, but there's no way I could do it. But let me just say right here that one of the things that my mom did that helped her was she approached teaching me in such a way as she was willing to learn herself. And so she really looked at it as us learning together, and she said that she learned more through homeschooling us than she did when she was in school. I'm convinced that we are in a place in our culture where if 
every parent was required to drop off their kid at daycare when they turned six weeks of age, and their child started walking while they were at daycare, parents would be convinced that they couldn't teach their children to walk. However you choose to educate your children, we need to get back to a place in our American culture where parents have the confidence to believe that they are the primary means of educating their children. A good school environment should be one that supports the parents. And so as we approach elections, we need to make sure that we are electing people that respect parents' rights. And as you saw from that clip, there are parents on both sides of the aisle who are saying, wait a minute, we may disagree on what we want to teach our children, but we still agree on the fact that we want to be the ones to teach and influence our children. And if politicians want to be elected or reelected to office, they need to realize that the parents need to have control over their children and that they can make a difference because they can. So I want to encourage you as you go to the polls this you know, August for primaries and then this November for the general, that you keep that in mind, that you evaluate the issues before you go in to the ballot box. Because a lot of times when we talk about voting, we just say, just vote. But I don't think just voting is what needs to happen. I think educating yourself um, and making sure that you're prepared to vote is what needs to happen. And we are in such a place in our culture today where that is easier than ever because we have access to the internet both from our computers and our phones. So please take the opportunity to know what your candidates believe and then cast your vote for them. The other thing I would say is that I think that primaries are very important. A lot of times people don't vote until the general election and then they are disappointed with the choices that they have. Um, I know for a lot of people that was the case with the 2016 presidential election with Donald Trump running and eventually becoming president, but they were disappointed that Donald Trump was the choice. I've said this before and I'll say it again. There were 16 candidates for president on the Republican side in 2016. There were 14 of them that I liked better than Donald Trump, but he was able to win state after state with totals as low as 30% of the vote. So that being said, it is very important to get out during the primary and make your voice heard so that perhaps the candidate of your choice will make it to the general election and then be able to have a good shot at becoming the next candidate for whatever office that you are voting for. And then also realizing the need for local officials. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this clip is this Democratic mother talking about how she values climate control and is concerned about climate change, but she recognizes that electric cars are not the best way to go about this. I really appreciated this refreshing take because I think sometimes as Christians we get so far away from environmental things that we don't care at all. And the reality is that God gave us our environment to care for. 
So we do need to care about the environment. We just need to make sure that we don't put the creation above the creator, which is what so many modern environmentalists do. So I thought that was a balanced approach, and I think it's important for us to look at the ramifications of everything that we want to happen. Because it's so easy when we look at an issue to say that the government needs to throw money at this, or the government needs to do this or that, without looking at the long-term ramifications. I was so gratified that she was looking at the ramifications of electric cars and saying maybe this isn't the best way to go about achieving our environmental goals. Well, I am excited to review for you today the movie Saved by Grace, and let's look at our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from our uh, our main character, and he is a police officer, and his name is Rick, um, and he makes a joke that he was named for Ricky Ricardo, uh, who was uh, on the Isle of Lucy show. Of course, he says... Uh, that his name is actually Richard because he was in a long line of Richards. Uh, When he's challenged that God is good, he simply responds, is he? Because to give some general background on the movie, he has gone through the traumatic loss of his wife from someone that he put behind bars and then came back to his home to torment him. And this has affected a lot of his life. He has stopped going to church. He has stopped being there for his son. And he is bitter and unhappy. And he's actually contemplating ending his life. And then he has a life-changing encounter with a woman named Grace. They end up uh, bonding over their shared grief they end up being able to help one another move on toward the future. Dave? Well, isn't that sweet? Go ahead and pull it! How you holding up, partner? Living the dream. Hard to believe. Five years ago already. It's a beautiful day. God is good. It never gives us more than we can handle, right? That's right. What happens if it is more than we can handle? Hi! I could use a little help. Sorry, lady. We picked the wrong guy on the wrong day. So there's no chance you're going to be driving into town anytime soon. The Lord is going to bless you for this. I promise. Of course he is. You know, I never got your name. Rick? I'm Grace. Are you a man of faith? I don't really think about it much, ma'am. We're going to have to work on that, mister. Did your wife go to church? I haven't stepped foot inside a church in five years. I failed. As a cop, as a father, as a husband. Your God and his infinite wisdom took her from me. How's that for a happy ending? Lord, he sent a kind man back. I pray that you soften his heart. 
Sophia, watch out! Are you okay, bud? We're all where we're supposed to be at any given time. Can't say the same for your cart. <laughs> you should smile more often. Looks good on you. <laughs> Do you think it's true that God has chosen that one special person for each of us? That one person that's meant to be with us for the rest of our lives? I gave up trying to figure that out a long time ago. There's no hope for me. There is hope. Believe me. Tell me, how long have you two been seeing each other? Like noon? <laughs> I think it was more like one. Well, you're crazy. So as I unpack this film, uh, there are a lot of things I liked about it because I it showed, I think, overall, the impact that one person can have on another person. You don't really know what all the people around you are going through, but sometimes a kind word or a smile can go a long way in helping people deal with the bad day that they are having. And I just really liked about this film how this young lady was just being herself and God used her to help this man deal with his demons in a way he hadn't been doing for so many years. This is a five-year period of time from the time that his wife died to the, the time that the beginning of this movie picks up after the prologue. And so you just see him getting progressively more and more bitter. And you see that his son is paying the price because he's been living with his grandmother and his dad really isn't investing in him. Now, one of the biggest criticisms I have of this film is there's not a lot of exposition. Okay, so you have the beginning scene where his wife is killed. Um, you don't know anything about uh, the criminal, um, about what the criminal did and what led to this moment, um, which is which is fine. You don't need to know that to get launched into the story, but then you don't hear anything about why his son isn't living with him and how he could totally ignore his son even though he was just a young boy and um, became a young teen through the course of these five years. Uh, it's also kind of ambiguous at the very beginning of the movie whether he is still a cop or not, although it seems that he has put the police department in his rearview mirror. And so you have all these unanswered questions at the beginning of the film, and some of them are a little bit uh, revealed as he uh, talks through his grief with Grace. And you have a, a, a similar situation with Grace where there isn't a lot of exposition. She just shows up and, and desires a ride from him, and at first he's, he's really resistant. He had come to this uh, deserted place or semi-deserted place, to end his life. He has a gun and he's ready to use it and um, to move on to the next life, whatever it holds. 
and then she stops him by knocking on his window and asking for a ride. And, of course, he says first, no, you picked the wrong guy on the wrong day, and I'm not going to help you. And then she says thank you and starts to move on, and he decides, hey, I'm going to uh, to help her anyway. And then through the course of the film, uh, she begins to talk with him and he uh, begins to loosen up a little more. And as the film unfolds, uh, you begin to realize that she has some issues that she is dealing with as well. Uh, One of them being that her son has died from drowning in a pool um, and she feels guilty and feels like it's her fault and he is comforting her. And I think through the course of comforting her, he begins to realize that he has been doing the same thing to himself that he was encouraging her not to do, which is blaming herself for things that are beyond her control. So we see that God is working in this situation and and bringing light out of darkness. Now, there is something that I would like to address, and that is the age-old thing that Christians often say, which is God never gives you more than you can handle. Um, and that is really taken out of context. First of all, the the phraseology of that is actually in reference to him giving us the power over our temptations. So it's not really talking about the trials of life. And the second thing in regards to that is that God routinely gives us more than we can handle because we can't live life without him which I think ultimately comes through in this film. I really appreciate the fact that they can have honest conversations about uh, their challenges and that they can help each other. So she says that she wants to go and see her family. So there's this implication that she's going, obviously, to visit her family for... Thanksgiving, and so he's taking her, he thinks, to her house. And they're continuing to have these discussions. His truck breaks down, so they start walking through the town. And um, they stop at a church where she prays and she thanks God for allowing him to be a part of her life and for the fact that he uh, did so much for them and putting them together. And so I thought that was really a a neat thing. And I know there have been many times where God has brought someone in my life and looking back after a certain amount of time, I'm like, I don't know what I would do without them in my life. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them to me, so I can definitely relate to that. And then there is the relationship with his son. And apparently every time there's a holiday, um, 
the grandmother puts out the invitation to the son, come and spend time with us. I know there's someone, meaning his son, that would like to spend time with you. And so she encourages him to come and reconcile with his son. Now, when it comes to the son, I think there's a couple things at play. First of all, I think that the situation is such that he feels guilty for taking the son's mother away. I think that that is a big reason why he has distanced himself because he he feels so responsible for taking his wife away from his son. I think also that he is so busy dealing with his own bitterness and grief that he doesn't know how to deal with his sons. So it's really neat to see that he um, ends up coming to see his mom and his son for Thanksgiving. And at first his son is really angry and says, now you think you can just come back and be my dad? And he realizes that he needs to take it slow and to just allow God to work in the situation. And then uh, toward the end of the film, we see that there is some reconciliation that takes place. So I think that the biggest lesson in this film is the idea of the fact that people can make a difference in your life and that one decision, the decision to shoulder the guilt of his wife's death, really impacted every part of his life. He was no longer able to be a cop. He didn't want to be out and doing things. He allowed it to separate him from his son and he allowed it to uh, cause him to go down the road of contemplating suicide uh, because he didn't have hope. And the only hope that we all have to uh, get out of this life is believing that God has a plan. And that was brought forth in this film, the idea that everything happens for a reason and God has a plan for our life. Now, I know some people will say that everything happens for a reason is a cop-out because if if you believe that the good things happen for a reason, then you have to believe that the bad things happen for a reason. But let me camp on this for a second. The reality is that either things happen by chance or they happen for a reason. Either you believe in the sovereignty of God or you don't. Those are the only two choices that you have. And so I believe the Bible teaches us that everything happens for a reason. Why do I say this? Well, the book of Job is a primary example. From the outside looking in, Job saw everything imploding in his life and he didn't know why. Uh, he probably scratched his head and, and I know he cried out to God and was like, God, why is all this happening? Um, because he tried to do the right thing. He prayed for his children in case they sinned. Even God said that there was no one on earth like Job. So this is the situation of the story of Job. And yet we are given the opportunity when we read the book of Job to peel back the curtain and to find out that in fact 
The devil has asked for the right to torment Job, and God gave him that opportunity, but he is also calling all the shots. God first gives the devil the opportunity to take away his financial material possessions, and then next gives him the power to take away his health. But he keeps Job alive. He never takes away uh, Job's life. And it just shows that nothing that the devil does can be done without the approval of God. Now that, in our finite way of thinking, introduces other questions. Like even I, when I contemplate the story of Job, I'm like, well, well, if the devil is kicked out of heaven, why does he have these audiences with God? And I think that might be one question that I will ask God when I get to heaven. But it is an interesting thing to think about. So I think the book of Job shows us that things are going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that put things together for the good of those who love the Lord, even when bad things occur. And I'm so thankful that I live with that assurance. I don't understand how people live with no assurance, how they believe that we came here by accident, and so we have no purpose, and we have no final destination. I just don't understand how people live that way. And so I think that for the purposes of this review, I'm going to give Saved by Grace uh, three out of five stars. And the reason that the rating is as low as it is is because there's never a moment where they talk about Jesus specifically or needing to get your life right with God. Um, There are moments of prayer where they both cry out to God and ask for help. And that is a good thing. Also, the storyline was a bit fragmented. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of of movies that don't have exposition. I like to know why a character is the way they are and have clues into their motivation. And so it lacked that nuance. I feel like we didn't get to know enough about his son and why they weren't together, even though I was able to piece together, I think, some of that story, I feel like it was lacking in that regard as well. So, all in all, I think it was a a, a solid film, and I think it's very interesting because Grace is a very upbeat person who really trusts God and, and really encourages Rick to have the attitude that God is in control of everything, but as I said, she she deals with the death of her son. She deals with the death of her husband. And there's a really neat twist at the end of the movie that I'm not going to give away here, but I'm going to encourage you to watch the movie so you can uh, enjoy it for yourself. Um, but there's a really neat twist that connects uh, Rick and Grace at the end of the film. And the implication is that they are moving forward together with new hope for the future, 
because they have met each other and God has allowed them to be there for one another. And I think that is a, a final lesson, if you will, for the film is that we were made to be in community. We were made to need each other in the beginning of the film. Uh, Rick's answer to his grief was to isolate himself. Uh, so he has a former boss, I believe, reach out to him at the beginning of the film. Uh, he has a, a local homeless man that reaches out to him a couple times through the course of the film who talks about his wife's big heart and the way that she cared for the homeless population, uh, reminding him of how good she is. And then he has Grace and his mother also that reach out to him. And we see that as he gets away from isolation and gets involved with more people, that is when he starts to come out of his darkness and into the light. And he sees hope in living for tomorrow instead of ending it all today. And so I just want to encourage you. I know, especially from spending time in lockdown, uh, about 86 days, that I really craved personal interaction. And I really needed personal interaction. I think we were made for that. The Bible says that it's not good for a man to be alone. And he sets the solitary in families. And so I want to encourage you to make sure that you have a solid group of friends. Find a good Bible-believing church if you're not in one. Uh, Go to a Bible study. Be around people that love the Lord and so they can encourage you in your journey. The reason that I am the person that I am is because of the people that God has put in my path to encourage me and to make sure that I am pursuing my God-given gifts to the best of my ability. The reason that speaking for him exists is because a good friend of mine, a couple good friends of mine, as a matter of fact, really encouraged me to pursue God's best for me. And even though my dad had been encouraging me the same, it didn't really click until some people that were outside of my family saw the same thing and said, you need to do this. You need to pursue ministry. You need to make sure that you are encouraging the believers. And so I just want to encourage you to be in community and to not allow depression or bad things that have happened to you to isolate you from God's people because isolation will cause you to fall even more into depression or into doing things that you will later regret. We need to be with each other and encourage one another. That's why the Speaking for Him podcast exists, to encourage you on the journey of the Christian life. Because it is a journey. Uh, as, as has been commonly said about the Christian life, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. If you listened to the Pilgrim's Progress when we aired it on the podcast, you know that that's what it was all about. The journey of the Christian life, the ups and downs. When he fell, he had a friend to pick him up again. 
Well, that's about all the time I have for today's episode, but I hope that you have enjoyed this look at Saved by Grace. Without further ado, I will say have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 